Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Um, so you are the poor folks that didn't have a Christmas party tonight to go to. Uh, me either, me either. I'm glad, glad you're here. A uh, little bit of logistics, so I don't forget. You know, this is our last night because we're not here next week. The only thing that will occur next Wednesday will be Vespers in the chapel at 5.30. But after tonight, we sort of take a break for Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. And then we will be back on, we start the official Wednesday stuff, the second Wednesday in January. So we'll we'll be back on the second Wednesday of January. Um, We are going to look, if you would, look at Acts chapter 6. I only want to look at seven verses tonight. These are seven really important, significant verses. I think you'll find them very interesting. Um, And then that leaves us. We will come back at verse 8 of chapter 6, which verse 8 of chapter 6 through all of chapter 7 is the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And you notice how lengthy that story is uh, from chapter 6, verse 8 through the end of... a long chapter 7, you got the story of Stephen. Uh, to help you remember what we'll be coming back to, do you know, here's, here's your trivia for tonight, in the Christian calendar, both Roman Catholic and Greek Orthodox, for those Christians who keep a Christian calendar, when's the feast day of St. Stephen? You, you really do know it. Good kid, cook. Good King Wences lost looked out on the Feast of Stephen. It's the day after Christmas. So the feast day of St. Stephen is the day after Christmas. So uh, we will come back after Christmas and start with Stephen. Uh, Again, he gets a lot of ink in the book of Acts for some significant reasons. But tonight, I just want to look at the first seven verses of Acts. Acts chapter 6. Um, let me set the stage. This is really good stuff, very very practical, uh, applicable stuff. In Okay, you've seen the church created, empowered, emboldened by the Spirit. Uh, you've seen outside forces come against the church uh, in the Jewish religious leadership there in Jerusalem. Uh, you've seen some inside forces come against the church, Ananias, Sapphira, all that stuff in chapter 5. Here's another issue that they're going to have to deal with. So here we are in chapter 6. I have 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 6. And I know you can't believe this about Christian people, but they're having a controversy. (laughs) They're not agreeing. They haven't even gotten out of Jerusalem yet. Um, First pastor I ever worked with, three years I served as an associate a long, long time ago, um, one of the main things I took away from him was he used to frequently say, if the church was not of God, we'd have never got out of Jerusalem. <laughs> and they almost don't. If it was just a merely human institution, I, we should have made it. We should have never made it out of Jerusalem. So uh, here a problem arises in chapter 6. Uh, I, want, I want you to take notice of how they deal with it. Here in chapter 6, these first uh, seven verses, your study Bible probably says something at the heading like the creation of the first deacons. Uh, And in a sense, that's true. We'll look at that. So in a a sense, this first seven verses, the creation of the, the order of deacon in the Christian church. 
Um, we don't know much about that from this chapter. Uh, is, is it probably, they're, they're, they're actually not called deacons here. Um, you have to get to 1 Timothy chapter 3 before you see the office of deacon sort of fleshed out. Uh, but it may be here. Uh, the word that um, the word deacon comes from in the Greek is diakonoi. It means to serve, to minister. That word's used three times here in these seven verses. So there's something significant going on here about serving, ministering. Um, so you'll see that, and it looks like these seven people that are chosen are referred to as the first seven deacons. So they answer the conflict and answer the controversy by the creation of um, somewhat of an order of deacon, uh, a, a, a loose formation of what is to become called the order of deacon. So um, look at look at the text. We'll, we'll do this maybe fairly quickly. Look at the text. Now in these days, and again, you know these days, still in Jerusalem, still hanging out in the temple. Um, we're just weeks after Pentecost. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, uh, I know that some contemporary translations, maybe only the New Living Translation, which I really do like a lot, uh, translates the word here believers instead of disciples. Not quite sure why they do that. Some of my favorite New Testament scholars worked on that translation. Not sure why they chose the word believers. It's really significant that the word disciple is here um, for two reasons. One, you'll notice right here in this section, all Christians are being called disciples at this point. There's a clear division between the apostles and all the rest of us. So they're all called disciples, um, which is important. That's, that's our primary title. In, in the Bible. The word Christian does not occur very often. No one would have known who a Christian was at this point. You'll see later in the book of Acts, uh, they were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, but these are all Jewish people. That's all we've got going on here is Jewish people. Uh, Jewish people who have embraced Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah. But it's important that we are called disciples because what does the word disciple literally mean? Learner, usually probably best, learner. I sort of like to translate it apprentice to make sure you know it's not just learning information. It's like you've been apprenticed to somebody. So a disciple of Christ is a learner or an apprentice of Christ. Uh, that, that's, that's our personal job description. So you see here in this section, all the church, and by this point, numbers get interesting here in chapter 6. There, people who do this kind of stuff estimate, just looking at Luke's numbers, that there are probably between fifteen and 20,000 disciples, Christians, here in Jerusalem at this point. Um, because the church is growing quite a bit, and you've seen how much Luke loves to tell you how the church is growing. So now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, there's Luke's fascination with numbers, a complaint. I know you can't imagine church people complaining either, but it happened, and it happened quick in the life of the church. A complaint, and you're going to have to learn these two groups, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Um, my translation just simply says the Hellenist versus the Hebrews. Now, your translation may help you out and try to say something like the Hella, Hellenist Jews versus the Hebrew Jews. I the Grecian Jews 
Grecian Jews. Hebraic Jews. These are all Jews, all Jews, but there's two types of Jews here. And this is where you have to know some first century historical stuff. Um, Of course, the Jews living there in the region would have been Aramaic-speaking, that's a form of Hebrew, Aramaic-speaking Jews. They were the ones who lived there, native to Jerusalem. But by the time of Jesus, you already had more Jews living outside the Holy Land than living in the Holy Land. Uh, The Roman Empire roughly was about 10% Jewish. They were scattered, dispersed. Uh, we call it the Jewish diaspora all over the all over the um, Roman world. Big community, big community in Rome. Very large Jewish community in Alexandria, Egypt. Um, scattered everywhere else. Large community in Antioch of Syria. Um, so um, you got Hebraic Jews living in 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 Jerusalem, the region of Jerusalem. Then you got these Grecian, Hellenistic Jews. The word Hellenistic, particularly for some of you that may be going to Greece with me next year, the technical term for Greece, what they call themselves, what they call that land is Hellos, H-E-L-L-O-S. So that's why Hellenistic means Grecian, of the Greeks. Um, We use the word Greek. They would use the word Hellenistic or or Hellenic. Um, So you've got Jewish-speaking, you've got Hebrew-speaking Jews and Greek-speaking Jews. That's the group that you got here in the church in Jerusalem. Because, again, you've got a lot of Jews living from around the world. 300 years before this time, Alexander the Great conquered the whole known world. He spread Jewish, I mean, he spread Hellenistic Greek culture, uh, and he spread Hellenistic, the Greek language. That's why 250 years before Jesus, you already had the Hebrew Bible translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. So like in these two groups of Jews right here, uh, one group is from the homeland there. They know Aramaic. They're using Hebrew in the synagogue. Um, The other group's Hellenistic. They're Greek. They're reading their Greek Bible, their Greek Old Testament. They have more Greek customs. Um, Let's even talk names for a minute. Among the twelve... Names are going to get important a little bit later in this section. The name Philip, the name Andrew are Greek names, not Jewish names. So you have this blend of Greek-Jewish culture in the first century. started in the third century before Christ, but you, you, you've got it going on big time in, in the first century. Uh, and that Greek culture was probably more prevalent around Jerusalem than up in the Galilee because you just had... Is Jerusalem is a big city, multicultural people going there. So anyway, here's the church. You've got two groups. You've got those Greek-speaking Jews who have embraced Christ, and you've got those Hebrew-speaking um, Jews who have embraced Christ. So uh, there's a little cult. They're all Jewish. They've all embraced Christ, but obviously there's a little language barrier going on. Uh, there's probably some cultural differences. Uh, you know, the Hellenistic Jews probably hung out with other Hellenistic Jews, and the Hebraic Jews probably hung out with other Hebraic Jews. So there arises this complaint. It comes from the Hellenistic crowd, the Greek-speaking crowd, uh, the people not native to Jerusalem. And what they're saying is, you're not taking as good a care of our widows as you're taking care of the Jewish widows from the Hebraic-speaking community there around Jerusalem. Um, 
you've seen twice already in the book of Acts, you know, the emphasis on their distribution, how they took care of each other. You saw that in the chapter 2, you saw that in chapter 4. So there's this big emphasis on uh, the, the Christian community there financially taking care of each other. Well, probably one of the largest groups of impoverished people in the ancient world, we kind of know this from the New Testament and otherwise, are the widows. I mean, to become a widow would have thrust you into poverty. So, um, you know, they're, they're doing a good job of taking care of the poor in their midst. But the widows, that's one of the larger populations of the poor in their midst. So the, the people who are Hellenic Jews say that our, our widows are getting the short end of the stick on the distribution. So that's the problem there in verse 1. I want you to notice now closely how they approach and settle the problem. Because, again, we need to ask ourselves, do we look like our picture? Verse 2, here's how they go after settling the issue. And the 12, they were back to 12 at this point. Matthias took the place of Judas. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. Um, It's a big group. I don't know if it's the whole 15 to 20,000 that's been estimated to be in Jerusalem at this point. My, My suspicion is, knowing church life, the people that were the most agitated about this issue were the ones who showed up. So there's a big crowd. They come. So there's a congregational meeting, the, the 12 called a congregational meeting. Big congregation. Big congregation here. Uh, Summoned the full number, as the ESV says, full number of the disciples, and said, before I even read the rest, you're going to learn about sort of the creation in a sense, of the order of deacon, you're going to hear something also about what apostles, and I think you can extrapolate that out to uh, presbyters. Presbyters, um, uh, that's the Greek word in the New Testament that gets translated variously such as elder. If you're Roman Catholic, it gets translated priest. So you begin seeing this division between the apostles, the twelve, and what they feel called to do and these other people that are being raised up here. So notice what they say, they being the 12 at this point. When they summon the full number of the disciples, they say, it is not right that we should give up, uh, we should give up, I'll turn my page here, that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So that's what the 12 are saying. That's what the apostles are saying. I think you can't extrapolate that out to say that's what the presbyters should be saying, uh, the elders or the priests. Um, they have a calling to ministry of the word, and they're saying, you know, we got this problem going on within ministry of life of the church, the, the serving of the widows, the distributing to the needs of the widows, and the, 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 the 12 say we, we don't need to step away from preaching the word to, to take care of this. An interesting thing here that keeps getting pointed out, you notice the text says, preaching the word of God, giving up, neglecting, preaching the word of God to serve tables. The word serve, I, I, I told you this group that's being developed here, they are never called deacons in this text, but the word from which we get diakonos, diakonoi, uh, deacon, which literally means to serve or to minister, that word occurs three times in the text, such as to serve that word to serve there is, 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 is connected to the root word diakonoi, to serve tables. 
Now, the interesting thing, most of us assume, most of the people who write on this text assume that serving tables here has something to do with feeding the widows. And that's usually the way we read this, just at first sight. But there are some, there are some New Testament folks that say that word tables could probably does mean these kind of tables where you're eating your food off of, serving the widows. But it could also have to do with financial work. Think what Jesus overturned in the temple. Tables. So this could either, you know, the, the, the 12 here could be saying, we don't need to neglect preaching the word to take care of financial or administrative issues. So uh, the, this problem they're dealing with is an administrative problem. So the disciples sort of declare that. Uh, they got a, another calling. Somebody else needs to take care of these widows. So then you get to verse 3, which says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom, we'll, whom we will appoint to this duty. Notice how you got a congregational meeting here. I'm using that term sort of loosely because it's a whole bunch of people. you got a congregational meeting here to solve this issue. The disciples, though... Tell them how they're going to solve it. They're going to solve it by appointing seven men. And they're going to even set the qualifications. They're they're going to ask the congregation to choose the seven. But they're going to ask the congregation to choose the seven according to the the qualifications that the twelve give them. Therefore, brothers, you pick out from among you seven men of good repute. They have to have a good reputation. Full of the spirit and of wisdom. They have to have spiritual maturity. They have to have spiritual maturity. They have to have wisdom, not just a lot of information, but they, know, they need to know how to use information and knowledge, wisdom. So the, the apostles say this is the qualifications. Um, and then the apostles say whom we will appoint to this duty. So you see this collaborative work here uh, between the leaders and the congregation. Um, again, I like verse 4 because it here again, the 12... The apostles, um, I think you can extrapolate out that out to the presbyters that are being created. They, they again reiterate verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It may not mean a lot, but I have always noticed prayer comes first. We devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Um, well, let me stop there for a moment. Uh, so, you know, we've noticed this for a couple thousand years. Um you know, I think one of the reasons for the weakness of the Christian body in America is those of us who are called to be presbyters, elders, um, priests, whatever. Those of us who are called to that, we lose focus of what our calling is primarily. You know, uh, you know, our, it's clear here. Our, our calling is commitment to prayer and the Word. The word being uh, preaching, teaching, proclamation of Christ. That's what we're to be committed to. Um, and particularly here in, in the West, I think, um, you know, there's days I feel like a CEO. Now, I will tell you quickly, I'm not a CEO. And if you start acting like I'm a CEO, we're going to have a long talk. I'm not a CEO. Um, I'm definitely not. And this is a pull in the American church. A lot of pastors get to the point that they feel like, they feel like a, um, I can't think of the name. They feel like the events entertainment coordinator on a cruise ship. 
Cruise director. Cruise director. Yeah, we're not that either. Yeah, we're not that either. Uh, we're not the organizer of events. You know, and all of us, in all walks of life, it's easy to not keep the main thing the main thing. And it's real easy to lose focus. But I, I think part of the weakness, because I, I, I don't mind putting it on the pulpit, part of the weakness of the American church is too many of our presbyters are neglecting serious study of the word, serious teaching, preaching, proclaiming of the word, and prayer, um, because they're taking care of other stuff, other good stuff. But you see the division of labor here, the theoretical, theological division of labor here. Somebody else should be taking care of the administrative stuff, serving tables, feeding the widows, so that the leadership here can devote themselves, and that's the word, devote themselves to prayer. Uh, you know, I, I've, and I'm as guilty as anybody, I would, love, I would love for revival to hit the Christian church in America to the extent that none of us would be ashamed for anybody to call the church office. I bet this never happened to any of you. Some, somebody, anybody could call the church office and the church secretary say, the pastor's busy praying. I bet you've never been told that, have you? Because we'd feel like we weren't working. You know, um, you know we need to do whatever we need to do to prioritize prayer and the word. Um, I had one pastor who followed me in my second church. When I went to that church, um, they had a remarkable shortage of bookshelves in the pastor's study for me. <laughs> and they built a remarkable, wonderful number of bookshelves for me. Well, then when I got moved, the person who came in behind me literally said, Tammy, do you remember what he said to us? He had not bought a book since seminary. Yeah, right. He didn't have books to put on the... I had to give the poor guy books to decorate the bookshelves. Yeah, yeah, I, I gave him some stuff to decorate those bookshelves. But he told me he had not bought a book since seminary. You know, I, I, I kept my mouth shut. I, would, I should have probably told him what I thought about that. John Weston said, if you will not read, you don't need to be in ministry. If you can't give yourself to the study of the Word, and that, that, that is Bible and beyond. Uh, John Wesley did an amazing amount of publishing. He, br- he published something called The Christian Library where he did abridgments of great Christian authors, many of them Puritans, great Christian authors. He even abridged Jonathan Edwards for his preachers to be reading this stuff. And, um, yeah, I think that's part of the weakness of the American church. Yeah, and, and, again, it's nobody's fault but the presbyters. You know, we, um, John Wesley rose every morning at 4.30 to make sure he got, had time for prayer had time for stay, because he is he, he a very busy, active life. Um, and I think that it's really hard to keep the main thing the main thing. We all, have, you know, if you don't, if you don't kind of take control of your schedule, your schedule will take control of you. That's why I keep a schedule in a little black book. It's kind of sacred to me, not, you know, second to the Bible, but it's sacred to me, my schedule. Because if we don't get a hold, if you don't get a hold of your schedule, um, you, you, the, the, the important stuff can be pushed out by the urgent stuff, to quote Stephen Covey. But yeah, I mean, somehow, I mean, you see the division of labor here. Now, here, in, here at, you know, verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Verse 5 is one of the most amazing verses to me in the Bible. 
Because I've hung out with church folks for a really long time. Look at verse 5. And they, and, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. Now that is, that's supernatural. That had to be the work of the Spirit there. Because we talked about how large this group could be. If you look at the numbers that Luke keeps uh, presenting. So, but what they said pleased the whole gathering. Um, and they chose. And I think the they here and the they chose, Stephen, etc. I think the they here are the people, not the, the apostles. They're let, the people are choosing. The apostles gave you the qualifications. The apostles are going to lay hands on them. But they chose, and they could be the apostles, but they chose. And here's some names. Uh, we know a lot about two of them. We think we know something about one of them. But look at these, these seven names. They chose Stephen. We've already talked about Stephen. Remember December 26th is the feast day of St. Stephen. Remember Stephen uh, from verse 8 of chapter 6 on through chapter 7. We're going to just be dealing with Stephen. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So you see Stephen identified here, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And Philip, um, you're going to see Philip in chapter 8. The interesting thing here, both Stephen and Philip... When you see Stephen through the rest of this chapter in chapter 7, and you see Philip in chapter 8, what you see them doing is not serving tables. You see them preaching. They're evangelists. Philip is the evangelist to the Samaritans. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus. Now, we think we know something about Prochorus, but we really don't. If you go ask your Greek Orthodox brothers and sisters, they have a feast day for Prochorus. If you go ask your Greek Orthodox brothers and sisters, they'll say this Prochorus became the amanuensis or the secretary of St. John. So this was the secretary that wrote down the gospel. Maybe, maybe not. Um, Orthodox Church says it was. But we really know nothing about these other people. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicolaus. Now, you do know Nicolaus there is a proselyte of Antioch. Again, we've said everybody thus far that we've been dealing with are Jewish. This guy started out Gentile, but he became a proselyte, a convert to Judaism. But the most important thing that you need to notice about this, now again, watch the apostles. They were, they were smart men. They're dealing with an issue that the Greek-speaking Jews that were part of the Christian community thought their widows were being neglected, the Greek-speaking Jews. So they picked seven men to head up the ministry of serving to those Greek-speaking Jewish widows. I bet if you have a study Bible in front of you, there may be a good chance that your study Bible may tell you something at the bottom of the page about these seven names that are listed in verse 5. Do you, they're, all they're all Greek names. Every one of them is a Greek name. I already told you, like among the twelve, Andrew and Philip are Greek names. Here's a Philip. It's another Philip, different Philip from one of the twelve. These are Greek names. So these are all Hellenistic Grecian Jews that they're choosing to make sure the Hellenistic, Grecian, Jewish, Christian widows are being served fairly. Now, none of these were chosen initially mm. by the apostles. Oh, no. I think the, the group is saying, apostles said they had to be good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and the crowd surfaced these seven. So the crowd was Greek? The crowd was predominantly Greek. It would have been probably 50-50. There would have been a lot of Greek-speaking Jews. 
there. I mean, again, we just know that there was a lot of what what was happening in the ancient world. All all Jews, most of them were outside the Holy Land, even at that point in Jesus' day. All the Jews, if at all possible, went back to Jerusalem for holy days. But for a whole bunch of Jews, same is true today. Where do they want to die at? Where do they want to be buried at? Back in Jerusalem. So a lot of Jews from around the world would make their way to Jerusalem. So there was a, would have been a large, it might not have been 50-50, but there would have been a large number of, of so they would have had the crowd in front of them of both Aramaic-speaking Jewish Christians and Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, but they were wise enough. The crowd was wise enough to choose Greek-speaking Jewish Christians to head up this ministry. So that's why everybody knows that these are all Greek-speaking names here. And that probably is wise. Um, probably helped build some bridges. Again, part of what you need to see in the book of Acts, big picture, and you'll see it in just a moment explicitly, is you're seeing the growth and the development of the church because of the power of the Holy Spirit and helping the early Christians be bold. You're going to see them in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the world. Uh, you're going to see, all. in order for that to happen, they have to cross a lot of cultural barriers. And here they have a cultural barrier in the congregation in Jerusalem, and they're crossing the cultural barrier here in the congregation in Jerusalem. That's why people, and I've, I think I mentioned to, mentioned him too before, people like C. Peter Wagner, the great missiologist, he just loved this section. He wrote a lot of words about this section, trying to help the church understand. You know, it's important to do cross-cultural um, missionary work. You use the indigenous people. You don't, you don't use the Americans to tell the Africans how to do it. You help them, but you help create the African leadership. The indigenous people tell them how to do it. We, we kind of know now because, again, we've, we've tried to read the Bible, and that's the way they did it here. Um, so just wrap up real fast. Look what happens. So they, they chose these seven. Verse 6, the, these they set before the apostles. It was a collaborative issue going on, a collaborative way of working this out. These, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid hands on them. The apostles laid hands. Uh, just like Moses laid hands on Joshua. It's, um, it's, it's a sign and symbol of blessing, uh, of being set apart for service. We still lay hands in the service of ordination, setting people apart for particular services. Um, so you see um, how the, the apostles gave you the qualifications. The crowd surfaced um, seven men in this situation um, to be... Um, to, to fulfill those qualifications. We do say these were the first seven deacons. Again, hold that sort of loosely. They're not called deacons here. They are called to serve. But at the same time, what you see them doing is preaching. But we've always said throughout the history of church, the order of deacon, I know in our tradition, the order of deacon is is especially for serving in, in the word, serving and preaching. Deacons do preach in our tradition. It's, called, and it's because of this. You see Philip and Stephen preaching uh, in, the, in the book of Acts. And... Um, then, then they, they're set apart as the apostles lay hands on them. Um, evidently, all of this pleased God, because look at verse 7. This is the fifth time, if you're keeping count, this is the fifth time Luke is giving you um, a progress report on what's going on. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Uh, stop there for a second. I mean, if we really understood how the Word of God grows the church, 
how the Word of God makes disciples, then maybe the presbyters in this age would devote themselves to the Word of God a little more because it's the Word of God that grows the church. You know, I've seen so many evangelism fads come and go in the last 38 years. You know, and they're not bad. I've seen all these things come and go. You do this and you'll save the American church. You'll get people back in the fold. Uh, the Bible's real clear. The way you build the church, the grow the church, increase the number is, is the Word of God, the preaching, teaching, proclaiming Christ. That's the way they did it in the book of Acts. And they give them a couple hundred years, 300 years, and they're going to conquer the Roman Empire with this. Uh, but what, here's the fascinating piece of it because you expect those words by this point and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem but the next phrase is the interesting phrase and a great many of who the priest became obedient to the faith Um, so here you see some Jewish religious leaders becoming obedient to the faith Um, these are probably not the high priest these are probably not even the Sadducean priests that are running the temple, the people that we've seen give the church such a problem up to this point. Uh, you need to keep in mind that according to like Josephus, there were 20,000 priests serving the temple. Uh, there were so many priests, they just rarely got to serve the temple. Who's an example of a priest? Zechariah. Yeah, Zechariah was one of them. He had his day, one day. It is one day to go serve Father John the Baptist. So there were a lot of priests around Jerusalem. So the number is pretty decent sized number. There are commentators out there that even wonder, I doubt, I almost doubt this, that some of these priests are even um, Essenes from Qumran. Whatever. They're priests, they're priestly order, uh, they're priests, they're Levites. Some of them are coming to Christ. Um, that probably, you know, I wish the high, you know, I, God had God and God's wisdom directs all of this. You know, if God would like have caused the high priest to become a Christian, that would have got people's notice. But the high priest not. But there were lots of priests coming to faith. Um, you know, when, when every time I read this in the book of Acts, I wonder if some of these priests might have been the, some of those priests that were there in the temple at the crucifixion. What happened in the temple to crucifixion? The veil of the temple rent in two, torn supernatural. Maybe some of these priests saw that happen. Anyway, whatever. God, God does a lot of interesting work to prepare us to receive the gospel. But, um, yeah, I, I'm really grateful that Luke sort of throws that in. Because, again, he, this is the fifth of his progress reports. He's going to give you more progress reports. But what's novel about this progress report is when he says that... Um, when he says, and a, and a great number of priests also believed.